CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. It's time for another Benny J bonus interview brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. Bonus time on the Ben Trotsky Show as I speak. It's Friday, November 4th, 2022. Here's a headline from the business section of the New York Times, a story I am utterly obsessed with, and probably our lead-in uh, discussion uh, with my distinguished guest who's waiting by. Uh, here is the headline. And, and by the way, I urge everyone, if you really want to know what's going on in America, read the business section of the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times. It's just, they just like are following corporate America and all its uh, machinations. It's just like, it's not opinion. It's, it's like, it's not analysis. It's, it's, you know what I mean? It's not, there's no agenda other than just following what's going on. Uh, and um, so here's the headline. Musk is scouring Twitter for revenue to sustain it. Yes, you know, I've been talking a lot about this. Elon Musk, the world's richest man who made his fortune uh, with electric cars, which are largely purchased by liberals, uh, who, for whatever reason, uh, perhaps he lost his mind, decided he was going to join forces with MAGA. Uh, and as part of that crusade, uh, he joined the MAGA movement that said that Twitter was biased uh, against MAGA, which is complete, just another Another lie that MAGA has uh, perpetrated. One thing led to another. All this trash talking about Twitter. At one point, he said, I'm going to buy it. The next thing you know, guess what? He had to buy it. It's a long series. I've discussed it on the show many times about how the, his offer to, uh, to, to, to buy Twitter, which was really just trash talk, uh, <laughs> led to a court case in which Twitter essentially had him buy the short hairs. And he had to, to make good on his uh, pledge to buy Twitter for way more money than it's worth. He overpaid for Twitter. And as a result, this, this little item in today's New York Times story says it all. He is the world's richest man. But to finance his Twitter deal, he loaded the company, get this, with $13 billion in debt, putting it on the hook to pay more than $1 billion annually in interest alone. That's the interest, that's the principle. So where is he finding the money to pay off that loan? Well, he's certainly not taking it out of his bank account. He's firing Twitter employees. Twitter employees are getting fired so that he could save money on salaries and instead use that revenue to pay off the loan. And by the way, those saved salaries they're not enough to pay off the loan. So he is like scouring the universe, looking for cockamamie schemes to get people to pay to use Twitter, a service they got for free. I'm like, I don't know how that's going to work. Dude, you and your big mouth overpaid for a product, and now other people are paying the consequences. And my distinguished guest knows 
This has happened in the journalism world in the city of Chicago. It happened to my beloved reader. At one point, the owners, the uh, owners who've since gone bankrupt a long time ago, overpaid for the reader to make up for it, to pay back that loan. They fired a bunch of really good journalists. Very sad. And it happened at the Tribune when Sam Zell bought it. A lot of people lost their jobs. This is capitalism insanity, ladies and gentlemen. This is our system. So I'm following this very carefully. Uh, Elon Musk and his machinations with Twitter. And I know my distinguished guest is following it as well. And there's a lot to say about it. So before we get started with the conversation, distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Ramana Hussein. I'm a member of the Sun-Times editorial board and a columnist at the Sun-Times. And a dear friend of Ben Dressy's show as well. All right, Ramana, um, you just heard me ranting and railing about Elon Musk and Twitter and capitalism. Uh, it's just like triggering to use that millennial word. It's triggering memories of the reader in around, I think it was around 2007, 2008, when so many good people got laid off because the company that had purchased the reader overpaid and had to pay back a loan that they couldn't meet. And so they said, all right, we'll fire people. And they left it to uh, poor Allison Troop really nice person who was the editor to like call people in their office and later she got fired. It's just like capitalism is just insane. Ramana Hussein in some levels and there's so free market people like say, Oh, just let it do its thing. <laughs> you let it do its thing. This is the thing it does. All right. So I'm done raining and railing your thoughts on yeah, Elon Musk no, I purchasing mean, Twitter. Had, um, because of the faults of previous owners, you know, their greediness and I'm forget. I don't know why I'm forgetting their name, but these are people who were taken to court and, um, you know, we suffered. Um, I, I think the bleeding started in 2008 for me at the Sun-Times. And I saw so many people um, lose their jobs um, at the Sun-Times. And it was hard because, you know, you see these people that I read when I was a kid being laid off. And it was just it was just hard. Like every time you, there was this one point that I, I remember just sitting there and then I see people walking towards someone, you know, in the newsroom and I'm like, oh no, I know what's gonna happen next. You know, it was just like, you're you're just kind of watching this happen. And it was like, you have this guilt, just watching it. You're like, why did this happen to so-and-so? And it's, it's, a, it's a very demoralizing kind of deflating process to watch. So I can understand what's happening at Twitter. And, you know, Twitter's one of those companies that, you know, has been criticized for a long time. You know, people say certain things about it, but now with Elon Musk, taking over Twitter, I think the conversations have gone to another level where you're seeing employees, like just like literally like two minutes before um, you called me to talk about the show, I saw on Twitter, I, I barely went on Twitter today, um, just doing all this other stuff. And I saw a tweet that somebody retweeted from the a lawyer that worked for their human rights team. This is the Twitter's human rights team. And she said yesterday was her last day. The whole team got laid off. And I mean, this is something that's really important, like human rights at this day and age all around the world is an important issue, especially with things that are happening in this country as well. You know, it's important. And I don't know if you, you probably saw this, Ben, but um, they said that um, the use of the N-word increased by 500% since Elon Musk took over, um, you know, and people are wondering, like, if there's going to be any sort of, you know, I mean, we all believe in free speech, but is hate speech going to increase because hate speech is something that shouldn't be tolerated. And, you know, you know, people always talk about free speech. And I think I saw something the other day, they're like, you notice how people who are all about rant, ranting and raging about hate free speech, it's always about 
hate speech, you know, it's like they're not allowed to say things that are despicable. And, you know, and I think we all know what it is when it's hate, hate speech. We're not saying that you can't say whatever you want, but I think everybody knows when it's hate speech. You know, it's kind of like what the Supreme Court or um, judges said about pornography. They know what it is when they see it. Right. And we know what hate speech is when we see it. So. I don't know. I, I think, um, you know, journalists, I can tell you um, one of the things that a lot of journalists or a lot of the discussion on Twitter I've been seeing, you know, if you're a journalist um, and, you know, some journalists get the blue check mark. Um, do you know what that is? That's when you're verified that that is exactly you. So if somebody else like, you know, uses my name and it's not a check mark, you know, maybe not everybody, you know, and then that's not to say that people who are like really, you know, high-end journalists don't have that check mark. The only reason I have it is because one time I, I think we had someone in the office who was making sure that we all got check marks as, as reporters. So some reporters have them, some don't. But it, you know, people are saying, oh, these journalists just want to like, you know, act like they're better than all of us with the check marks. But then somebody pointed out it's it's actually, you know, like a status symbol, like this blue little check mark. Um my my one of my nephews who's like 13, he was very impressed that me and Mick had blue check marks and I told him it's only because we're journalists he's like wow you guys have verified and I go it's I go it's not a big deal it's just because we're journalists and you know if we say something we want to make sure that it's the actual journalist who's saying it not someone who's impersonating us so someone pointed out that you know this is the reason why we need the check marks and so um Elon Musk I think he kind of threw around that he's going to be charging people like twenty dollars a month for the check marks and then, like, I think there's some people going back and forth with him. And then he said, fine, what about $8 or something like, and then um, I saw this one, um, this one woman, uh, somebody retweeted, and she said that just take a picture, screenshot a picture of your blue check mark and make it your Twitter background. So that's what I did. So if I lose a blue check mark, people know that I was verified at one point. So, and, you know, there's also discussion about people leaving Twitter, like journalists wondering if they should stay on Twitter. And a lot of people that I know had the same discussion with Facebook because of the, you know, this, the, you know, the allegations and actually the proof of Facebook letting these fake news stories kind of proliferate and, you know, the hate speech, like just kind of like increase and in growing and Zuckerberg was rightfully criticized for that. And I know a lot of people who got off Facebook, but one of the things with Facebook is, um, I, I know it's really funny because some people are like, I'm getting off Facebook. But then Facebook owns Instagram. They also own WhatsApp, which every like everybody who has like relatives overseas uses to communicate. And um, they also own, I think one more thing, but I'm not sure. But but so so many people are like, oh, I'm boycotting Facebook, but then they're on Instagram. So I'm like, you're not really your protest really isn't making that much yeah. of a difference. Because I think people still want to have a social media presence. So now there's this discussion like, do journalists stay on Twitter or do they not? I'm kind of waiting it out and seeing what's gonna happen. So I'm still there. But um Tom McNamee, who used to run the editorial board, um, a couple of days ago on Facebook, he said he was leaving Twitter and he asked people to join him. And so, you know, people are kind of going back and forth about why they use Twitter. I use it mostly for news, actually, because, you know, my my uh, feed tells me what the biggest story is. Like, you know, I try to come up with editorial ideas that way. And I follow mostly news people. I mean, I do follow like some celebrities and, you know, some different um, personalities, you know, that I think are funny or interesting, like Trevor Noah, we're talking about a few minutes ago. And so I, I, I like most, so most of my feed is news. 
or like discussion and debate. So it kind of, and I've gotten column ideas just from like listening to people back and forth and the, you know, the discussions that people have. So I don't know, I, I, I'm, the jury's still out on what I'm going to do, but so far what I'm seeing, it's, it doesn't seem very um, uplifting to see that all these people are getting laid off from Twitter and you're like wondering what kind of, what kind of um, online source or online um, use it will be for people and whether people will be leaving in droves once they find out what the final product of what Elon Musk is going to be doing will be. Right. And, and, and that's the challenge uh, and that's the dilemma uh, and that's the decision, all those things uh, that we all face and that Elon Musk face. And I'll set it up this way. Uh, Elon Musk uh, pledged himself to the concept of free speech, which is a bogus pledge because there's no such thing as free speech. Uh, it does not exist. It's a, it's just some a, a piece of fiction that's been created by MAGA to justify being abusive uh, to people who look differently than them. That's that's what free speech is in their minds. They don't believe in it. They don't believe other people have the right to it. Elon yeah. Musk will fire someone in his company if they try to unionize. If how is that not a violation of free speech? So, of course, they don't believe it. They just say it's a typical MAGA thing. They say they believe in someone. They don't really believe it. Uh, and then they, they use it like a hammer to, to pound everyone else. Um, so in the course of free speech, uh, people are uh, rushing. As you say, there was Trevor Noah's bit, I think, was that you and I both were laughing over about how he pointed out. That was the first word everybody had to use. Uh, oh yeah, and he said people could, had to use it. Yeah. Yeah, and he yeah. said it could go both ways. We don't know if it was the black people saying, like, hey, What's this, you know, and we're doing or yeah. could be racist doing it. That, that was pretty funny. The bit you sent. Me. Yeah, I know that was a funny bit. Uh, and uh, so but the, the reality is this. Uh, if Elon Musk makes good on his pledge, which I'm sure he never uh, really intended to have to make good on uh, to open it up to absolutely everything. Bring Donald Trump back. No consequences for whatever you say. Uh, let the people use the N word at free and let Nazis post at will. Then they will lose all credibility with half of America, the non-MAGA half of America, and they will flee Twitter. Uh, and I don't believe any credible journalist would want to stay on a platform that where they'd be linked to Nazis. So he's got to figure a way uh, to make good to MAGA that he's opening it up to Nazis without uh, scaring everybody else into leaving. Good luck with that one, Elon. <laughs> Good luck with that one. And also advertisers. What advertiser is going to want to stay on on Twitter if there's a bunch of nasty Nazis running around there? So that's his challenge as he comes face to face with the reality that uh, the whole concept of free speech was some BS thing that he uh, came up with. I this it was Stephen King who got in that engagement with uh, that you alluded to with. Um, uh, Elon Musk, who said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. where he dropped the F-bomb on him, he goes, you want me to pay you? <laughs> you know, and then he goes, uh, 20 bucks is ridiculous. And then Elon Musk goes, how about eight bucks? But that leads me right to the next thing I wanted to ask you about. So Elon Musk, man, this dude, what a twisted guy. Because while he's saying he's going to police uh, Twitter and make sure that people are accountable for what they put up, he himself put up that uh, tweet that questioned without any credibility whatsoever uh, the police account of what happened to Paul Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi's husband, who was attacked by a deranged MAGA man with a hammer. And um, the man was like, where's Nancy? The guy wanted to beat up Nancy Pelosi and take her hostage. Really sicko, twisted dude. 
And then uh, Elon Musk tweeted out, well, there's more to the story than we we know. There's possibility there's more to the story. And then he had to pull it. Romana, it's like there in a nutshell is every contradiction of Elon Musk. He wants to appeal to MAGA by saying the sky is open. It's sky's the limit on nonsense that I'll let you put on on my uh, my social media page. But he also wants to keep that those advertisers uh, pouring the money in because he's got to figure out a way to raise $1 billion a year, Romana, just in interest, not even the principal. So he has to take it off. He puts it on, then he takes it off. He's like, I put it on, that'll satisfy MAGA. I'll take it off, that'll satisfy the advertisers. I'm like, is it possible that America will be fooled by this blatant attempt to have it both ways? I don't, I don't know. I, I, I even wonder if Twitter will still exist the way that we know it now. It might change completely. It might be a totally different platform. I mean, you know, during the uh, January 6th, um, before the January 6th riots, people were using a totally different platform that we never heard of. Most of us, the mainstream um, communities, we never heard of those. Like, I'm, and I'm forgetting what they're called, but um, they were called different. They have like different names that I had no idea what they were. So I don't know what it's going to become. And Elon Musk himself, like, I, I remember reading a profile in Mary Claire magazine, I believe it was, by his like first wife. And uh, she basically, it was like, I think the headline was like, I was a starter wife. And she talked about Elon Musk. And this was written like maybe 10 years ago. And he just sounded like such a douche, you know, and this woman seemed pretty smart. And she has like, they have five sons together. And you just wonder what kind of guy this is. I mean, last he was dating was Grimes, who was like a singer, like a young singer, like was probably like 20 to 30 years younger than him. But I remember the mom had tweeted that her daughter was held hostage by Elon Musk. Like the mom didn't like him at all. And then she ended up leaving him. But he just seems like a really insecure, rich man. And the last couple of years, like I had no idea who Elon Musk was like years ago. Like I heard of Tesla, but I didn't know that was like, I didn't know who Elon Musk was. And then I feel like the last four or five years, you hear about him like every like, all the time when you turn on the news, you hear about him. And remember when he was here to um, to kind of propose this idea about this high-speed rail um, system to Rahm Emanuel. I mean, like he came to Chicago too. It's like it's like he had he has all these big ideas and you know going to space or wherever, going to the moon. I don't know, but it's like it's like you hear about him all the time. So I kind of feel like he's one of those men who's just really insecure about himself and just needs to be the center of attention and just throw around his money. And yeah, like you said, it's pure capitalism. And yeah, I don't think he care. I, I don't, I don't know what his principles are, but yeah, of course, like he's one of those people like, yeah, Tesla, you're going to get all the, you know, liberal lefties like, oh yeah, this is electric cars, but is he doing it really for the right reasons to, you know, for the environment or is he doing it because it's trendy and, you know, people, are really into it. So it's like, we don't know what his principles are. He's just doing whatever is going to get him to be popular. So he want, he's one of those people that wants to be popular with all the crowds. Like I want to be, the, I want to be the cool guy that everybody likes, like the jocks and the nerds. And even, you know what I mean? That's what it is. It's like, it's like, so I'm going to do whatever I can 
to impress everyone, you know? And so I, I don't know what it is. I, I just feel like he's kind of been a loose cannon with all this Twitter thing. And I do feel people feel bad for all the people losing jobs because you know we like i said we complained about twitter in the past and but you know there's got to be like relatively smart people that are and i know that there were so many objections to him like taking over twitter like they're like you know people who work for twitter are like i can't believe he's running the show or he's going to be taking over so i don't know to me he just seems like uh like somebody, I, I don't know if I want to call him a Napoleon complex because I don't know how tall he is, but he's just one of those men that is, is just, <laughs> is just, is just really insecure and needs to like, he uses his money, his wealth to kind of impress people. That's, that's, that's what I'm, I, I, I get, you know, I mean, even as, I mean, I, I guess it's okay if he has hair transplants, but you know, I had, you know, at some point I was like, you know, somebody showed a picture of him, like when he was bald and which is fine, you can get a hair transplant, but it's like he just seems like he's insecure and it's just like everything about him just really seems insecure. But you should read the article. I'll send it to you after we're done um, about the, that his first wife wrote. I saw it like maybe a couple, maybe about a year ago, like somebody on Twitter goes, oh, just so you know, there's this one article that out there about a woman who spent the most time with Elon Musk. And I don't know, just as a husband, he just sounded terrible. I had not read that article, so I look forward to reading it. And I did not know until you told me this that he had a hair transplant. So I'm learning a lot today. I just yeah, know I about all the. Guys, I know about uh, all the. I think he had hair plugs. I don't know. Hair plugs, I, I, okay. I yeah. Did not know that. Uh, and yeah, I'll never forget when uh, he came to Chicago and entertained. That was so classic Rom. You, you used to make fun of me, Ben. You just don't like Rom. He's not that bad. I'm, I stand by it. That guy was the worst mayor, and he was all set to dedicate. Who knows how many millions and millions of dollars to this cockamamie scheme to have a high rapid speed train that would like go underground from the loop to O'Hare. Even though we already have the blue line. Hello, Rom. Ever heard of the blue line? And uh, he brought in Musk and he figured, oh, well, Musk's a celebrity. He's rich. People will love it. Uh, so, God, he just brought back that memory uh, from the Rom years. Uh, all right. Let's uh, speaking of uh, frauds. Uh, your editorial today. I did not read it. I, people, I have a confession to make. Ramana was teasing me. I didn't read today's editorial because Ramana, I, I got, uh, I was like really into the sometimes they, and some, so many of your stories. I literally got to the Mackenzie Scott story, which is on page 15. And then I remember I got a phone call and I never turned the page. I humbly apologized, which would have gotten me to beware of fake newspapers packaged as the old school, real deal. Great editorial can I let the cat out of the bag? Can I say that you wrote it? Yeah, yeah, sure. But I was going to say, you, you said you don't read it yet, so you don't know if it's great. No, I did uh, read it. I hastily oh, read it before oh, you yeah, kidding. I knew I was going <laughs> to I mean, I had to do my homework. Uh, and it, it's been on my mind anyway. I'll shout out to Lynn Sweet, uh, the story that she wrote. I think it was yesterday, I want to say. Lynn Sweet, longtime journalist at Chicago Sun-Times, my beloved bright one. Uh, and she's been going after I give her credit. She's been really pointing out how uh, Dan Propt has built up this uh, MAGA empire uh, in Illinois, financed by Richard Uline, mostly, uh, where it's just churning out propaganda to undercut J.B. Pritzker and try to elect D.B. Bailey, Darren Bailey, uh, as the next governor of the state of Illinois and basically have a MAGA takeover uh, in the state as well. And he's using newspapers as his weapon. 
And um, he's like, he prints up these newspapers that are just printing its bogus articles attacking Pritzker. Uh, it's just pure propaganda. And, but they're newspapers. And I know this, I talked about yesterday, Ramana. I know. And I, I speak with experience because I am a boomer. And we have been trained to believe what we see in a newspaper is real because of the credibility of people like you or Lynn Sweet or anybody else who's been in the game and follows the basic rules of journalism, which Dan Prof doesn't follow. He mocks and scorns and rolls his eyes at. He doesn't play. He's got a pack called People Play by the Rules, and he just rewrites the rules and ignores the rules, breaks the rules. Uh, you've been in journalism for a long, long time. This must really, uh, what word should I use? Disgust, annoy, upset, frustrate. You pick the word. Uh, this this must really irritate you. Yeah, it's, it is. It's just, um, you know, I'm not saying that we're a better medium than any other um, journalism groups. Um, but, you know, there is a difference between a journalist and someone who's just getting information. And when I, I quoted... Um, Peter Adams from the News Literacy Project, um, and he was telling me, I, I kind of touched upon it, but he said that ex he thinks that, you know, this is something that is targeting, especially, and uh, kind of targeting senior citizens who are grown up to believe or always think that there's some sort of gatekeeping before something ends up in print. And so it's one thing if you're, you know, because these are newspapers and these are businesses, they're, ex they're, they're basically able to um, escape these rules that other media or campaign um, ads, you know, have to do like, you know, so they don't have to say who's paying for these things. Um, and so we don't know, you know, where it's coming from. So when you have these news stories, you know, quote unquote, news stories that look like actual news stories, but they're full of lies. And, you know, that actually has been proving it's not like me saying it as a journalist, but as me saying, as me, Ramana Hussein, but journalism, journalism groups, I think Reuters was one of them and AP fact checked some of these like flyers that were going out and they said that there's misinformation in them. So it's like when you do a political ad, you, you can attack the other side, but you're not supposed to be putting out lies out there. So it's like they have all these newspapers and they have all these legitimate names, you know, they sound legitimate, you know, the names sound legitimate. So people pick them up and they probably think it's like, a newspaper. I'm sure if my mom got one of them in the mail, she would think that it was actually a newspaper and start reading it. And so, yeah, I think that as a journalist, as a print journalist, especially, I, I just think it's it's insane. And especially with the elections coming up and all in the state of this country, it's like this misinformation and the lies and getting people all worked up. It's like that's just been the theme for the last couple of years. And I just feel like the last few months, that's all we're hearing, like getting people agitated, you know, spreading lies and telling them that, you know, stuff about the Safety Act, stuff about, you know, critical race theory. I don't know if the papers touched upon critical race theory, but I know that there was something about um, they had like mugshots, and, you know, saying stuff like, oh, you know, if the Safety Act passes like this is what's going to happen. And, you know, crime's going to go, you know, insane. And we all care about crime. But this is, uh, you know, being used as a fear tactic to get, you know, people all riled up. And so when a lot of people do see these papers and if they don't know, you know, not everybody reads like, you know, or pays attention to the actual news, but when they see something in print, they might think it's, oh, it's news. And they go, oh, this is, this is a, you know, insane headline. And so um, I, I could, 
I, I could see and I know why people are really upset about it. And, and I, you know, I think as a journalist, as a print journalist, I just think it's insane. And we know what they're trying to do. And, you know, it's only a few days before the elections, but I just hope more people are, you know, paying attention to this or, you know, know that this is happening. Yeah, I um, I feel uh, that MAGA has been very successful uh, at destroying the notion uh, that um, there is a credible news um, media, you know, the whole fake news uh, concept. So it's to the point where MAGA doesn't believe something if they see it in a newspaper and they don't like it. So they like they see that uh, one of their cohorts allegedly beat up Paul Pelosi with a hammer. They don't like that because it's making them come face to face with the violence in their own movement. So what do they do? They say it's not true. They just deny it. And that way, then they're free to make fun of it. They create a, a false story and then they make fun of the story that they made up. Uh, and so they're absolved of even thinking about the contribution that their movement is making to violence in this country. And I feel they've been very successful at it. And I'm wondering, uh, should the Democrats get crushed in this next election, if they too will go in that direction? Uh, so far, they've resisted that uh, temptation, but I don't know. It seems like Donald Trump kind of leads the way in so many ways when it comes to politics and culture in this country. One okay. thing that st strikes me, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Um, so Lynn Sweet, again, traditional journalist, been in the business for quite a while, been covering a lot of elections, a lot of politicians. Uh, she abides by the rule that you must call the subject of your article for a comment. You must offer that person the right to speak for him or herself. Okay, that's a convention of journalism. Every time she calls Dan Prof for a comment, anytime any really uh, mainstream journalist calls Dan Prof for a comment on an article that's critical, he replies with an attack on the journalist saying they're just part of the J.B. Pritzker comm team. Uh, and so he takes advantage of her reaching out to him to comment to insult her. And I think he's thinks he's very clever when he does that. He enjoys insulting uh, journalists who have to work, you know, really do work as opposed to whatever he does. Uh, and he also kind of gets his message out there. What's your thoughts about that? Like the convention of having to call a guy who's just going to yeah. use you to insult you. Go ahead. I, I'm also old school journalist. Like even when I'm writing about something, like even as a columnist, I mean, there's obviously some things where I, you know, when I wrote about Iran, I'm, I, I'm not, I can't, I'm not going to be reaching out to the government of Iran. I'm, you know, I'm trying to reach out to people here, but I, I do try to get voices out there, but you know, like, for example, when I wrote about India and Raja Krishnamurthy, I'm not going to not reach out to him because I am reaching out there and I'm criticizing him, right? This is someone in Illinois that I'm writing about. I would probably also reach out to um, Dan Croft if I was doing the story. But yeah, I mean, I guess Lynn was gracious enough to give, to put out his entire text out there. But I think that kind of solidifies, like, you know, what kind of person he is, right? Or what his what his agenda is or how he feels about the mainstream press when you put it out there. So 
I don't know, in, in one way, it probably does embolden people who, like, you know, think like him. They probably get, you know, excited, like, just reading that. They're like, oh, yeah, he really gave it to Lynn Sweet. And, you know, so they probably cheer. There are some people cheering him on. But then there's the other side um, of people who are just probably, like, rolling their eyes and saying, wow, this is crazy. This is disgusting. So I don't know. I, I think it's good to get out there. But you know, I think it also captures like what that person is like, right? It It, it is probably going to embolden people and like this false news and fake news. It's like, it's what people want to listen to, right? I mean, this, when we're talking about the Paul Pelosi attack, the same group of people is talking about, you know, increase in crimes when it comes to immigrants and black people and other people of color. But it's like, this is a white guy committing a crime, but they want to put it in denial. They're saying that Paul Pelosi had a gay lover and, and, you know, this guy was like a nudist. So he can't be like a right winger. You know what I mean? Like all these sort of theories that, you know, they come up with and they kind of tell themselves this to make themselves feel better. And at the end of the day, if you don't want to believe something, you can't make people believe things. Like if they don't want to believe the news, they're not going to believe the news. They're just going to agree with whatever Fox News or, you know, what someone tells them or somebody, you know, cuts and pastes thing. And, you know, they, they're just not going to believe in the news, like anything that people, you know, and the news has issues. Like I'm not, I'm not one person to say that, you know, we always get it right. I think as someone who's been part of the press, like we've done a lot of things wrong historically, especially when it comes to being fair and to certain communities and groups, marginalized groups, groups, especially, but I mean, I think we've been more than fair, especially to the MAGA group. I mean, I've even said that I felt like we bent over backward to like make these MAGA individuals seem like they're such wonderful people when they're saying horrible things about other people who don't look like them. So um, I, I, I think you do have to kind of put that out there just so people know that you because then and then also like, you know, the people who probably do support. Um, Dan Proft and other people who are Republicans, they probably do say like, well, why didn't you reach out to Dan Proft? And Dan Proft would use that, you know, if she didn't reach out, if Lynn didn't reach out to him, he would go on Twitter or somewhere else. And I'm not saying he has a right to be on Twitter too, like everybody else, but he would say that they didn't even contact me. You didn't even call me. So, you know, look at the bias sometimes. So I do think it's important to reach out to someone that you're you know, calling out or at least writing about. So I, I think I think that was a good call by Glenn Sweet. Personally. I think it was, too. I don't think she had a choice. Uh, I'll just say uh, that it just the irony of it is uh, a little too delicious to pass up. So the guy whose name of his pack is people who play by the rules and Lynn Sweet plays by the rules and he just spits on the rules. Uh, and he he doesn't uh, engage her in a dialogue about what he's up to. Uh, he just uh, does a counterattack, which is of no bearing whatsoever uh, to the the issues that she's raising. And, uh, you know, it just it's frustrating as I watch this, uh, Romana, because it just reminds me that Democrats and Republicans, the way they play the game, there's two sets of rules. There's the rules that the Republicans don't abide by. And then there's the rules that the Democrats uh, still abide by. So one classic case that's been on my mind, think about this. So when um, uh, somebody in Chicago made threats against Darren Bailey on the phone and was arrested, all the Democrats issued a statement saying this is just outrageous. This is uh, unacceptable. We should not tolerate this. Okay. When a MAGA lunatic uh, attacks Paul Pelosi with a hammer, 
the Republicans deny it's a real story and then make fun of Paul Pelosi. They don't say, oh, my God, this is outrageous. We should stop. the Democrats play by one rule of civility. Republicans just attack. Lynn Sweet plays by the rules of journalism where you give somebody an opportunity to tell you what his side of the story is. And Dan Prof attacks. Only one side plays by the rules anymore, Romana. It's like getting kind of frustrating to continue to play by the rules when the other side is just coming at you with hammers. Your thoughts? Yeah, I know. I agree. I think um, we should always play by the rules when it comes to, you know, violence. Like, you know, yeah, you shouldn't condone violence. And let's face it, the situation with the Darren Bailey case, I mean, that was wrong. This kid shouldn't be doing it. But I think when you look into the story, this is like this drunk kid, this drunk, goofy kid who was like making a phone call. And I'm not saying it's right. Okay. I'm just laughing because this kid, I don't know if you read his, like, you know, he's like tweeting his or texting his friends or going on Snapchat and saying, Hey, you know, all these like authorities came to interview me and he's like giggling about it. And he doesn't realize the seriousness of the matter, but um, you know, people are taking it seriously and they should. Right. And, but it's like, yeah, like MAGA isn't going to be doing the same thing, but I think if anything, the Democrats need to change is like grow a pair and start talking. You know, it's like, I feel like we are always like talking, trying to impress the other side. And I don't think we need to. This country is clearly divided and you need to be forceful. I feel like the Democrats tend to be very like quiet and like, you know, oh, let's 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 be nice to this other side. And I'm like, it's OK. I mean, you could say certain things, you know, and I'm not saying you have to insult them, but you have to say what's happening in our country is wrong. I mean, Joe Biden came out and said the most middle of the row speech the other day in D.C. about democracy being like under threat and everybody's just like, oh, he's dividing the country. I'm like, he's not dividing anything. And I think I think he needs to be like more forceful and say stuff. So I think I think if anything that we need to change, we can still play by the rules. But we need to say that we're not taking this anymore. I think that's what the Democrats need to say. And and I feel like they don't say that. They're always so scared to like to like, you know, I feel like, you know, the Democrats always say that, oh, we're like, you know, different party. But I'm like, no, but you seem to be wanting to attract other people from the other party. Like you don't want to you don't want to piss them off either. And I don't I, I think it's like at this point, the Republicans don't want to impress you or people that are coming towards your party. So why do you have to go out of your way to impress them? That's the way I see it. I don't think you need to impress that side at this point. They don't they don't treat you with the respect. You don't have to treat them with respect either. I agree with you on that one. That was a great riff. All right, we're going to close down with this one. Michael Moore. And I talked about this uh, a couple times this week, having great fun with this. So uh, Ramon and I are having this conversation on a Friday. Uh, this conversation will drop on a Monday. On Tuesday, there will be the midterm elections. Okay. So by the time you uh, listen to this, the elections will be over. There's a good chance. There's a, you know, the way the podcasting world works. Michael Moore the lefty filmmaker, he's pretty much the only political observer, he's sort of a pundit as well, predicting a Democratic win. And I sent you one essay he wrote, uh, Romana, he's written like 20 of them. He's just on his newsletter, he just drops them. All his reasons why every poll is wrong, every newspaper is wrong, every pundit is wrong, and that instead, in his opinion, of a Republican, of a red wave, which is what everyone is predicting, 
there will be a blue wave. And I kind of like it because why not? Let your freak flag fly. Let's put it out there. Uh, maybe if you project it, uh, as the millennials say, you will manifest it and it will happen. Um, on the other hand, uh, <laughs> if what everybody predicts happens, you look kind of, um, you know, <clears throat> out of touch, uh, to put it mildly. So how do you see it? Uh, do you, uh, are do you as optimistic as Michael Bourne? Go ahead. Um, I have heard like right before I, um, our morning meeting, like a couple hours ago, we, I did, um, my boss, Lorraine Forte did say that more young people are voting this year. So far, the numbers are pretty strong. So that does give me hope, but I also know, um, what we are talking about. There's a really strong MAGA contingent out there and they're out in full force. I've been reading about all the people coming to the polling stations and kind of harassing people, people showing up with weapons. And so I don't know. I I, I hope I can be surprised, but I'm not as positive as Michael Moore is. I, I, I hope he, I hope he's right, but I don't know. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case. And, um, you know, like my boss the other day, Lorraine, um, she shared with me this poll that said 45% of Americans think that the United States should be a Christian. They feel like this is a Christian country and it should be a Christian country. 45% is a pretty big number. You know what I mean? So um, that's just, that just tells me, and I'm not saying that, you know, Christian people are bad, but we know that when people say that, that means that they really don't have, they don't want other people in the United States or don't people don't really think that much of people who, you know, hold, have different religious values or, you know, believe in a different religion. So I don't know. I, I, I just have seen the last couple of years. I just feel like what's happening in this country is we're so divided and, you know, all the, all, most of the polls, and not polls, most of the columns that I've been reading and even the columns that I put in for my boss, like, you know, she tells me to look over some stories and edit them everybody's predicting a red wave, right? No blue wave. Everybody's predicting a red wave. So I feel like it, it's probably going to be more of a red wave. But if Michael Moore's right, I mean, more power to him, right? I mean, he might be. You never know. We could be surprised. I didn't think Donald Trump was going to win um, the presidency in 2016. And no, and most people said that they didn't think he was going to win. I think there's a couple of people who did predict it. And Michael Moore did predict Donald yes, Trump did. winning. Yes, so um, I don't know. Maybe he's right. Right. Yeah. We didn't think Donald. I didn't think he was. I don't. Most people I know didn't think Donald Trump was going to win. So, well, I've dutifully read the Michael Moore essays where he's predicting he lays out his reasons why he thinks uh, the Dems will win um, Tuesday's midterms. Uh, and at the most recent one talked about what you just mentioned, the youth vote. Uh, he thinks that uh, yep. the, the polls do not accurately um, keep track of the youth vote. And uh the more young people vote, the more Democratic votes there will be. And the other point he makes is that um, the abortion issue will motivate uh, a lot of women to vote. And he says the polls are not accurately um, keeping track of that. And so, you know, every guest who comes on the show this week gets the Michael Moore question. And every guest pretty much has the same response, which is along the lines of what you said. I hope he's right. <laughs> but, you know, we're just bombarded with just the same story over and over again. And so you just come to believe it. And so that's why I welcome Michael Moore in this case. He's like, no, I'm not just going to repeat something just because everyone in America is repeating it. I'm going to give you what I think. And what if he's right that everybody will be looking at Michael Moore?
All right, before I let you go, any recommendations you want to make? Uh, Romana's recommendations, you're on top of things and streaming or reading. Uh, what do you got for us? Yeah, well, I told you that I was going to watch Hassan Minaj's um, stand-up show, which I don't know if you did, as I told you to do, but um, it's a pretty good uh, stand-up. It's like about an hour long. And um, I am started watching Rami, which I watch with Mick, so that's going to take a little bit. Um to finish, so I'm doing watching that at the moment. I do want to see Tar in the theaters. It actually touches upon <laughs> a lot of issues that we've been talking offline. I think about. Um, I think it's Kate Blanchett is in plays the role of this conductor, and I think it touches upon uh, all the dysfunction within the music world and the work. You know, people that she talks to and how she treats them, and her backstory. So I don't know. I think everybody's been raving about it. I want to see that. And there's also a Korean um, movie that I've been reading a lot about. It's called Decision to Leave. And it's been getting a lot of rave reviews, but I don't think it's come to Chicago yet. But I just read um, and, you know, it's like a film noir. And I've read like reviews about it and they say it's great. So I'm looking forward to watching those two movies. I haven't seen um, any movies in theaters for a long time, but I think if I'm going to see any movies soon, those are the going to be the next two ones how about you well the i finished uh bad sisters which is your homework oh yeah assignment. yeah i gotta watch that uh and i know i have a homework assignment that i have not completed i hope to complete it this week and i probably will uh believe it or not i kind of embarrassed to say what show my wife and i have been watching because i think most people think it's kind of lame uh but i really like it a lot and it's a korean tv show called the extraordinary attorney woo and it's on Netflix, and um, uh, it's uh, about a, a young attorney, follow me on this, who has autism, and she, it's kind of like Monk. Did you ever see Monk, uh, the old detective show where the monk, he didn't want to- I, I never saw it, but I know what it's about. Okay. I remember so, it. So uh, he has some like peculiar traits, uh, and yet he's brilliant and can figure out all the crimes. So it was kind of fun watching him be himself. And the, the, uh, but I just, these stories are so uplifting how nobody thinks she's, they are, everybody overlooks her, look, overlooks her. They uh, just have a low opinion of her because she's different. Uh, but she's like brilliant, you know what I'm saying? And she figures it all out at the end and ties it together. And it's like, yeah, she did it again. <laughs> and you know, going into it, Romana, she's going to figure it out because that's yeah, exactly. It's, it's probably something like psychological, like you're like, oh, everybody doubts her, but she's going to do it again. Let's, and it's fun watching her succeed. That's probably what it is. So it's yeah. it's fun. I like a lot of I mean, I, I I like a lot of these Korean shows. I mean, I just feel like they've done well when it comes to the entertainment um, uh, area. Like, you know, I just feel like it's the pop culture um, that's coming out of uh, Korea right now is just amazing. So amazing. It really is. They are on a roll. All right. Ramana Hussein, I'm going to let you go. Uh, I hope uh, that you are correct in that there's a chance that Michael Moore is right. How about that? Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. We'll see, we'll see what happens Tuesday yeah. night. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Very good. All right. That's Ramana Hussein. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody.